Our new series is uh, on Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And we're going to work through this letter in several blocks, chapter at a time, from now until the end of the year. And, and I'm really looking forward to it, actually. I've been studying and, and reading this letter, and I've just been hugely built up from it, and I know that it will benefit uh, us as a church as well, and I'll hopefully explain a little bit why I believe that to be the case. And I also think it's really um, timely for us as a church as well, and I'll touch on that this morning too. Uh, so you can sort of think of this morning as Second Corinthians 101, which why I thought it was very fitting that we came back to the school hall. So no chewing gum this morning. Uh, if anyone's answering their phone, they'll be given a detention later. And I do have a, a handy laser pointer if anyone stops paying attention. So, um, so there we go. So Corinthians 101. But it will be a little bit more teachy than preachy this morning, if, if you know what I mean. Uh, but that's purposeful, and that's to, to set us up for the series and to act as a bit of a reference point for the rest of the series as well. So in your own devotional times or later on in the year when we revisit the series, uh, hopefully you'll be able to grab this and use it as a bit of a, uh, a reference uh, message as well. So what I'm going to do this morning, uh, just a bit of an overview, is I'm going to first uh, introduce to you what is unique about Paul's personal letter. That's what I've I've termed it Paul's personal letter. And then uh, I'm going to answer the question, well, what, why should we work through this letter? You know, why are we going to devo- devote 14 weeks from now to the rest of the year to go through this letter in a bit of detail? And then I'm going to um, give a bit of a backstory of the relationship between Paul and the, Col- and the Corinthians. And then we're going to finish off with a, a, just a brief structure of the series and some resource material for you to do your homework, which I will be uh, following up on to make sure uh, that you do. Um, So we're just going to jump right into it. Firstly, introducing to you Paul's uh, personal letter. And so 2 Corinthians was written by this man here, the Apostle Paul, a very accurate uh, depiction of of the Apostle. And and you can read about uh, Paul and his amazing, miraculous conversion to Christianity in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 9. In fact, in a very short space of time, he went from being a Christian hater to being a Jesus lover and a gospel preacher. And it's a a brilliant story to read uh, or to refresh yourself uh, on. It's amazing as he encountered Jesus. But his particular calling was to be an apostle uh, or was to be a messenger to the non-Jewish world. So the likes of Peter and others, they were in Jerusalem, this big growing church. And uh, meanwhile, if you look in the maps at the back of your Bible, you see what Paul was up to. And there's squiggly lines going everywhere of all of his missionary journeys all over the Mediterranean. Uh, and, and he would go around and he, he described his ministry as, uh, as being like a master builder who was laying foundations uh, for Christian communities. You might have seen, like, in the entrance just before, they've got the plans for a, a beautiful new facility for the school that um, they're going to, maybe, I don't know, they're knocking this place down and uh, building a new one. I don't know. But they're going to spend a long time in the ground building the foundations and making sure that they're, they're right so when they build the building above it, it doesn't collapse in an earthquake or, you know, other horrible things happen. So foundations are very right. And Paul knew that, and his, his job, he felt, was to go from community to community and establish these foundations. But I just kind of wonder if he realised the, the influence and the impact that he had. He was laying you know, foundations in these individual communities, 
But looking back on history, what he was really doing is laying foundations for the entire early Christianity and their understanding of what Jesus had achieved through his death and resurrection. And, and you can see that because the very fact that his letters still survive today tells us they must have played a, a hugely influential role in early Christianity and they must have been circulated widely and treasured uh, and hence why they ended up in the biblical canon, which is not like a, like a canon, like a, it's a collection of writings that they treasured uh, and held dear. Uh, and so Paul wrote quite a few letters. I've taken a photo of my uh, contents page in my Bible, and you can see from, here we go, Romans, all the way through to Philemon, uh, he wrote all of those letters. Uh, he actually wrote a stack more as well that didn't get recorded in the Bible. For, for example, we know of at least four letters that he wrote to the, uh, to the Corinthians, and we only have two of them uh, recorded. But, so he was very busy writing all these letters. And uh, I really like um, uh, the Apostle Peter. He, he has a very brief uh, commentary uh, on, on, uh, on Paul's writings. And he says, hey, look, sometimes these, these letters are difficult to understand. And uh, that's kind of like a good commentary. Are you? Page one of one, uh, difficult to understand. Uh, and so about as far as it went for Peter. But he says, no, they're difficult to understand. And the, I think the reason for that, if you scan through some of these letters, like Romans, Galatians, Colossians, is that they're very concerned with church doctrine. And if you look up in the dictionary, that simply means a set of beliefs held and taught by a church. You know, like we, we, have, we have beliefs that we hold to and we teach. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's, that's our doctrine as a church. And so letters like Romans are very concerned about that. But one thing that I really love about Paul is that he wasn't just a pure academic. Like, he wasn't just like a philosopher in a university, uh, you know, coming up with his lectures to tell his students and nothing more than that. No, he wasn't sort of academic flying up in the clouds, never touching ground. No, no, his, his teaching and his letters were addressing real-life situations, addressing real communities and real people. And often his teaching was not so that he could add a chapter to his, you know... Uh, Christian uh, systematic theology textbook that was to address a specific problem or issue in a local church community. And I love that about Paul. And when you grasp that, it kind of helps you to appreciate even though sometimes it's difficult to understand. Uh, and so that's what I'm going to hopefully do this morning is give you an idea of just what was happening in the Corinthian church. But as an example of this Paul and his sort of real life uh, teaching, let's, let's look at Philippians just as an example. So Philippians chapter 2 is probably one of the most loved, celebrated, quoted, and read passages of Scripture. And, just, and rightly so, it's beautiful and it feeds your soul when you really, when you really grasp it. You know? Uh, you know, have the same mindset as Christ, who didn't you know, consider equality with God something to be grasped onto, but made himself nothing and emptied himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. What a beautiful passage. Do you know why he wrote that? Well, it was because there were two ladies in the, in the church at Philippi who disagreed so sharply with each other and who just couldn't get along with each other that it was starting to affect the health of the church. And so Paul's teaching addresses this and gives them a new way to think and gives them, uh, gives them a mindset in the gospel, a way of thinking to help them overcome this relational, very real relational problem. 
It's amazing. So when you read Paul, it's much more than just an academic exercise. He is addressing real-life situations. I love that about uh, Paul. And, um, and 2 Corinthians is actually no different. It's got some great and beautiful passages and theology uh, in there, but it is addressing uh, real-life uh, issues, which we'll touch on shortly. When you read 2 Corinthians, which hopefully you will over some time from now until, uh, until the end of the year, uh, the one thing that will jump out at you is that it's an intensely personal and an intensely uh, relational letter. Intensely personal and intensely relational. So he writes things to them like, hey guys, you're holding back on your love for us. I speak to you as I would my own uh, children. Please make room in your hearts for us. And he writes other things like, I would not be a burden to you, for I seek not what is yours, but you. I'm not after your money. I'm not after your recognition. I'm not after your you know, approval. I'm after you. I'm after your very person. Uh, so what does he say there? So I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. That's what I'm saying. I've just really been refreshed by in this letter, just how personal and relational it is. Now, I'm also reading another book at the moment, which just happens to be that it's a very personal and relational uh, book as well. It's more of a diary, and it's just, many of you might be familiar with it, but it's uh, The Diary of Anne Frank. And I never read it at school. I wouldn't have been interested in reading it. But as a father, I'm finding it very moving at the moment. And Anne Frank was a young teenage Jewish girl who was in hiding uh, with her family during the Second World War. And she wrote a diary throughout that whole time. And, um, and she tragically later died as a victim of the Holocaust in one of the concentration camps. And what really struck me is, even though the world is just capitulating around her, just, just really horrible time to be, um, to be at, she spends most of her time addressing and explaining relational issues within her family. It's intensely personal. And that's the reason I found this, this diary so moving. Not because it explains the horrors of the Holocaust, but because it puts a human face on the suffering. You, you get to know this little girl who has ambitions and who's beautiful and who, who you know, like loves her family and struggles with this and that, and then she you find out she's a victim of the Holocaust, and your heart just moves and, and drops because of it. Uh, so a very personal um, letter. Uh, and uh, like I said, I found really moved as, as a father for that reason as well. My own kids, I think about that. Oh, you know, her dad did everything he possibly could, uh, and yet this terrible fate still happened uh, to her. So very, very personal and relational uh, letter. Just as a like, couple of quick excerpts from it, uh, she writes things like, it's an odd idea for someone like me to keep a diary, uh, but I want to write. But more than that, I want to bring out all kinds of things that lie buried deep in my heart. Or in uh, 7th of November, 1942, she writes, Daddy doesn't notice that he treats uh, my sister differently from me. Now, I'm not satisfied with this apparent favoritism anymore. I cling to Daddy because it's only through him that I am able to retain the remnant of family feeling. But he doesn't understand that sometimes I need to vent to, uh, to my feelings over mummy sometimes. We are the exact opposite in everything, so naturally we are bound to run up against each other. 
But the worst of it all is that neither daddy nor mummy understands this gap in my life. A very personal, very relational letter, isn't it? Uh, But in in another entry in her diary, she says, who besides me will ever read this diary? She addresses the diary to her imaginary friend Kitty, and she says, who besides me will ever read this diary? Which now it's, you know, worldwide school curriculums, and there's this little girl writing these personal things. But they were never meant to be, in her mind, you know, broadcasted. They were just her inner feelings, a chance for her to express herself and that. And, uh, and that's one of the key differences between Anne Frank's diary and 2 Corinthians. Because you look at verse number 1, chapter number 1, in 2 Corinthians, and the introduction just like slaps me, it just strikes me, because he says this, Paul says, to God's church in Corinth, and to all of God's people in all of Achaia, forgive me for not pronouncing that properly, but the whole region. That's kind of like, imagine there was some big issue that arose in our church, and someone needed to address it, and so they, they, they email us, you know, King's Church at, is it Gmail or something? King's Church at gmail.com. And then, so, like, and to address these very personal, real issues, maybe there's some disciplinary problems, or maybe we're teaching that Jesus isn't the Son of God, or some big things that need to be addressed. And then it says, in the CC, it's like every church in the Wellington region is CC'd in the email, you know? It's like all the churches listed out in the lower North Island. That's kind of... And that really strikes me because for such a personal and intense letter, uh, Paul is wanting it to be uh, read openly and widely. And that's a very important issue. And, and uh, what it tells us is that there are some, there are some lessons that he wanted uh, to, to share and for them to learn, even if it meant that this personal relationship of his was going to be uh, on display for everybody to see. And uh, so, yeah, that's, that's a very important uh, point to raise there. He, he wanted it to be read openly and widely. Uh, and the classroom, in the class the lecture theatre or whatever, where this lesson would be played out was a very strained relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. He's quite happy for himself and even his, in his weakenings and even in his failings to be broadcast like that in order that these people might grasp some fundamental truths of the gospel and how it was to impact their life, even if it cost them his reputation of like the whole lower North Island being cc'd into you know, our elders' failings or something like that. You know, it's quite an uh, interesting way to think about it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, big long listen, no, just um, so, so that's Paul's personal letter. I wonder, did you realise that that letter is such a personal and relational letter. Maybe you read it in a fresh new light. But before we go into the details of the letter and give a bit of a background and the story behind it, I want to tackle the question, why should we work through and study this letter? What are the benefits for us? It's going to take a decent amount of time, and if you're committed to it personally, you want to be reading it and studying it yourself. Why should we uh, work through this? The easy answer would just be like, oh, all scripture is profitable and, you know, uh, God breathed and beneficial for you to work through. I just quote like a Bible verse at you. Uh, or Psalm 1, you know, the man who meditates on the word is like a tree planted and next to a river and he never, you know, he never runs dry. You just throw some Bible verse at you. But, but with that logic, you could say, well, why don't we go through like a 40 part series of, you know, Leviticus and, and work through that as profitable and God breathed. But, but why specifically at this time should we work through this passage, uh, through this letter? And what are some of the things that it's going to challenge us on? 
Well, firstly, and this is probably the big headline one, if you're going to grab anything from this little subsection, that is, is that it challenges us to examine our values, our value system. What do we value? Why do we value it? And, and how do we show that we value it? Do we let the gospel impact the way we think right through to our value system? Or do we give way to other ways of thinking that are common in our culture and our society that then cause us to place value in the wrong things? For example, how do we measure success? What do we value when we talk about success? Now, I've been uh, working in a new job at work at the moment. I'm building a little uh, changing room facility next to a hockey field. And it's quite a busy place when the kids come and, and, uh, and they play their games. And I've learned, just by listening, what a hockey player values and how they define success. Because I'll be working away and digging a hole or you know, doing whatever I'm doing, and I hear this thud, and it's the ball whacking against the back of the goal. And then I hear all the parents go, and everyone's cheering and high-fiving each other. And, and, and that's, I've learned, that's what a hockey player values. That's, that's how they define success, is that thud you know, in the back of the goal. And I kind of feel like maybe dropping my hammer sometime or like whacking a 4 by 2 together and make the thud and see if they all go, <laughs> but, but that's, that's what that's what they value. And they get there early in the morning and they're there late at night and they're playing constantly on this wet, soggy turf, getting saturated, but they all do it so they can boom, get that thud and hopefully they get more thuds than the other team, you know, and, uh, and they win, uh, win the thud competition, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, but that's what I learned. You know, but I, it's kind of silly, but when I hear that, dunk, hey, I kinda, every time I hear that at work, I'm thinking, oh, well, what, what things do we celebrate? You know, what things do we value? What things do we cheer on? And how do we show that we value them? For example, in a church community, how um, do we value and celebrate measurable results? Or do we celebrate and value obedience? You know, someone steps out obedient to God and nothing happens. Do we celebrate their step of obedience or do we celebrate the fact, you know, that, or do we not celebrate the fact that nothing happened? Those sorts of value systems, that's kind of what, what this challenges and touches us on. So related to that, uh, the second point here, which kind of is linked to the first, is that the letter helps us to see what God values and he values humility and meekness. You could go as far as to say is that he values weakness. Why? Because his love and his power was made known to us through the death of his son, through the weakness and the suffering of his son. That's how he chose to show his love towards us. That's God's value system. Uh, and, and that really strikes me because it's a, it's a completely different way of thinking and that's, that's the, that was the challenge of the Corinthians. That just didn't register in their, in their mind and in their worldview. That just, it was so foreign to them it created a lot of tension. Uh, so that, that is, that's another point that, that will help us. When you think about meekness, I like to think of, uh, this is a little side point, I like to think of like a big lion, a big daddy lion, like lying on the ground. And he's sort of like cubbing and playing with his, with his, with his little cups. Now, he could just go, and maul them, you know. But he doesn't. He, he, he withholds his strength 
for the benefit of his children so, so they can learn and play and lions play so they can learn you know, how to be a big lion when they're older. That's meekness. And in that setting, don't you think Jesus must have just been the most meek you know, person ever because he created the whole universe and then he made himself nothing and died on a cross? He's like the Lion of Judah, and he became a little lamb that we sung about today in order for us to, uh, you know, to be forgiven and set free. So that's, that, and that's, that's God incarnate, you know, walking the earth. That's his value system. And, and so working through this letter will really help us to see that in terms of what God values. Uh, it also shows um, the importance of relationships. It's so easy to reduce the Christian walk to just cold doctrine and theology, isn't it? Or a set of rules that you must follow, or someone steps out of line and, you know, we scold them or whatever. It's like, no, no, it's about relationships. I mean, think about the gospel. God is a father who so values relationships and so wants you to be in relationship with him that he sent his son to die for you, that you would have eternal life and you would be in eternal relationship with him. He values relationships. I need to hear that. We all need to hear that time to time, don't we? Because we get so serious about church and what we're seeing and what we're not seeing, and we forget that it's about the people around us, isn't it? Sometimes, today I was just worshipping, and I looked around, and I thought, wow, what an awesome bunch of people to call family. You know, just amazing, beautiful, gifted people. You guys are extended family. And, and it's that relationship that's so important, isn't it? And, and so here's Paul fighting tooth and nail, exposing himself to ridicule over all the churches. Why? Well, to win back this church so that he would be in relationship with them and, and, and renew and protect and restore that relationship. It's beautiful. Um, and an extension of that is that this letter helps us or gives us a sound biblical model for apostolic input. A sound... What does that mean? Like, ooh, sound... <laughs> Well, you've got the church at Corinth. They are a church community. And then there's Paul, who is an apostle, right? someone who lays foundations, and he is inputting into that church for the health and benefit and growth of that church. And it's, and, and it's helpful to see what that looks like and, and why that, you know, what the correct model for that is. Because we see that the correct model is actually a working together a mutual love and respect, an opening of hearts to one another. And it's not an overly formal thing. Paul doesn't come and say, I am your apostle, you know, wave his special stick around. He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he's not overly authoritative too. He actually holds back in order that they might have time to process things and, you know, that he might show them love. And he's giving them space. So if you were to talk about you know, apostles, what does that look like today? Well, in one word, it's relational. Biblical apostolic input from outside the local church is first and foremost relational. And I touch on this as a timely thing for us because it's fair to say through even reasons that are outside of our control that we've been out on a limb somewhat as a church in terms of apostolic input, people coming in and supporting us and helping us with our foundations and you know being our apostolic input figure or whatever it is. But over the last few years, we have also been really blessed to have input from, uh, from the Bedford Church, the King's Arms Church in Bedford, all the way in the UK, which distance-wise is ridiculous, but with modern technology is actually closer <laughs> and more accessible than perhaps Paul was with his local churches, in a funny kind of way. Uh, and they have, they have loved us, they have served us, they have helped us to, you know, to shape culture and things like that as well. 
And there's a camp at the end of this year, a weekend away with the Bedford Church, coming all the way over with the team. And if that's not relational, apostolic input, then I really don't know what is. It's not about a title, it's not about authoritative words, you shall do this and do that. No, it's open hearts with one another. And that's why camp's going to be brilliant, because it's, it's not the teaching and the, well, that would be great too, it's in the coffees together, it's in the slumber parties with your pyjamas, you know. It's, it's, <laughs> you guys don't have them. I'll be bringing my pyjamas, you know, some new Peppa Pigs, you know. Um, but it's in relationship, isn't it? So... Uh, and that's, that's kind of deliberately why I really pushed for this series, because I think it really served us well leading up to that camp, just to really have a clear understanding of what relational apostolic input is, and, 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 and encouraging us to open our hearts to the input, and, and, and not, you know, thinking that, um, uh, you're not, you're not having an incorrect view of that. It does other things as well, it touches on generosity as a lifestyle choice and response to the gospel, it does lots of things too. Uh, so I'm hoping, if you guys are hopefully encouraging and convinced now, this is going to be a great letter to work through uh, and really kindly beneficial for us. So amen to that. Woo! Amen. Yep, sweet. Um, now, been saying that, to really learn this stuff and to see it housed in Scripture, we kind of needed an appreciation of what's going on, the backstory behind Corinthians and Paul's relationship uh, with them. You need to know the full story before you just pick it up and read it sometimes. And this came, became apparent to me because I read a, a, quite an in-depth article about the collapse of the CTV building in Christchurch. If everyone's familiar with that building, in February 2011, earth, big earthquake, and tragically the whole building just collapsed and killed 115 people inside the building. And this article was basically... Uh, you know, asking, well, who's accountable? Who's responsible for this? You know, trying to make a judgment call about that. And you read through it. I think you can probably just Google it online. I think it was on stuff, which normally isn't like a credible news source. But in this time, I actually really enjoyed the article, so I'd recommend you read it. But um, it, st- it told the extensive story of the designers and the builders and the backstory. What happened after the first earthquake? Why didn't they shut the place down? You know, think about the engineers who reviewed it after that first one and how they you know, just we must be torn apart inside now, knowing that they didn't shut the place down. Uh, but you, you read that and you get an appreciation of the in-depth story. That's my point. So you don't just make a judgment call. You think, well, it's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, you can't really just point to one person and say it's their fault. Uh, there's, a, there's a background behind it. And often don't you find in tensions and conflicts in life, you jump in with a judgment call and the person who's more, you know, like up to speed with what's going on says, well, actually, Matt, don't you realise that that person really has a good heart? It's just, this is what's happening in their life at the moment. And you go, oh, <laughs> I realise that now. Well, understanding Corinthians is, is kind of the same. We need to understand the backstory. I, I've, I've heard it um, referred once. It's kind of like listening to a telephone call, reading Paul's letters. It's kind of like listening to a telephone call and only hearing one side of the conversation but from that side, trying to gauge what the other person is saying. You try that next time you hear a, a conversation. So you're reading a letter, but you, you don't really know what's being said on the other side, but you've got to try and make a judgment call about it. Well, getting context and, and hearing the background story is kind of like, helps us to understand what was likely being said on the other line, and also helps us to make sense of what is being said. Uh, so that's why it's important. So time's quickly running out, but I do want to give a backstory of Paul and the Corinthians. So... Are you guys up for that? I'm kind of using up my time, but 
I think it'd be really beneficial if we could go through this. So, everyone with me? Drinks break. Um, yeah, because I just I really love God's word, and I think it's really beneficial when we understand it. And I really love being able to share that with you guys. So, the backstory of Paul and the Corinthians, and I've stolen all the graphics here. So, uh, you can look at a, a YouTube video called Bible Project Second Corinthians, which I'll show you in a minute. But what I learned about Corinth, we're going to a little history lesson now is that Corinth was actually a very big city, about 750,000 people at the time. It's massive. And it was a great and wealthy city too. Sam is there with my little Google Earth. You see, Paul jumps on his iPhone and jumps out, where, you know, where's Corinth, where do I go to next? Well, it was, see, it's positioned perfectly for trade uh, east and west by, uh, by sea and perfectly for north and south by land and smack right in the middle, got a monopoly on it all. And so it was a very wealthy and modern and sophisticated city. Uh, and it's close to Athens there as well. So Paul, uh, you can read in Acts 18, he spent about 18 months, about a year and a half in Corinth, working, sharing the gospel, and establishing a church there. And he was a tent maker by trade, so he you know, just made tents. And there was another couple there called Priscilla and Aquila, and just brilliant names, and they were close friends with Paul. And the Bible says they had real fruitful work there, there he is there, preaching the gospel with some basic mathematical symbols, and, uh, wow, everyone's being saved. And so that's what it says, that uh, many people were saved and were baptized. And so he spent a year and a half, and then he moved on to Ephesus, which is on the other side of the sea here. So he went whoop, over, and he spent two years in, uh, in Ephesus. And while he was there, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church, to, you know, probably to give them some guidance and insight, and that was the real First Corinthians. You know, that, that wasn't, it was before First Corinthians. So we might call it like Zero Corinthians to save confusion. Uh, and so Zero Corinthians was written. And this was followed by multiple visits from the Corinthians over to Ephesus. And in one of these journeys of a Corinthian uh, from, from the Corinth church to Paul, there's this uh, lady here um, from Chloe's household. And they made Paul aware of some real serious issues that were taking place. Moral issues, factions in the church, stuff wasn't going uh, too good at all. And um, so he made a, they made aware of these issues. And also, even some began to reject Paul as their apostle at all and began to write him off. And, and that's when 1 Corinthians uh, was written. So here's the first letter to Corinthians after he, Paul gets this feedback from them. And you can read 1 Corinthians, and I advise you to do so. It's a, it's a pretty muddled church when you look at factions and people sleeping with people they shouldn't be and you know, like getting drunk at communion. It's just like, hey, it's, uh, you know, just would be a bit of a chaotic kind of place to be. He has to address these issues. Uh, but the, the letter, as we later learn, was actually not well received by the Corinthian church. And most of them kind of just said, ah, forget Paul and reject him. So he had to make an emergency visit, like a you know express, like overnight visit from uh, Ephesus, and he was hoping that he would sort the problem out, you know, but it didn't go so well. It went terribly. Uh, he got there, and a very unhappy confrontation took place. And it's likely that leading figures, some of these people that he worked so closely with, uh, had stood up to Paul during his emergency visit and resisted his authority as their apostle. He says it was a painful visit. 
you know, maybe they were just saying that we don't want you anymore or something to that effect. And, uh, and so they really were not happy with Paul and it just didn't go well at all, so that painful visit there. But you have to ask the question, well, why weren't they happy um, with Paul? Why did they disregard him? Well, they disregarded him because he was poor, unimpressive, suffering, and they had these other people who were like really well off and uh, did really well. Interestingly, in 1 Corinthians, there's a guy called Apollos, and he is from a city called Alexandria, which was the center of intellectualism, had like one of the biggest libraries, very eloquent speaker. Well, 1 Corinthians, there's a whole swath of the church, you know, broke away from wanting to follow Paul. Do I want to follow, follow, I want to follow Apollo. <laughs> Should we follow Apollo? Hey! Let's follow Apollo. Um, so that's, and that's what, and Apollo, see, he was so gutted by this, he actually left the church, didn't want to come back. And, and, and when the Corinthians requested that he come back, Paul refers him to one of, the, in one of the letters and says, Apollos doesn't want to come back, you know. He was so gutted by, this, uh, by these factions. And so that's why they rejected him. He was just unimpressive. There was like a bit of a cultural issue going on there. But more than that, uh, the issues were exasperated by these guys. Hey, the super apostles, as, as Paul calls them. Um, and they basically attacked Paul's credibility, they attacked his character. They painted him in a very bad light. And basically anything Paul did, he couldn't win. You know, so if he didn't accept money from them, he's crafty. You know, if he accepted the money from them, he was crafty. If he didn't turn up when he said he was going to turn up, he was dishonest, couldn't be trusted. So things were not so good, and they were exasperated by, by these other super apostles. So there's real cultural tensions as well as other issues as well. So Paul makes that emergency visit, and then he sends another letter to them. Another letter, a letter of tears. He said he, this letter would have read it and would have had tears all over it uh, as he tried to reconcile with the Corinthian church. But rather than take this letter himself, he sent his good friend Titus because it was just so caught up in, his, in, in, Paul, in Paul's character and, and his person that he had to send Titus instead and sent this other letter, the letter of, of tears. And thankfully, um, this letter and Titus's effort resulted in a bit of a change of heart. The relationship started to warm up again. The Corinthians realized their error, so much so that they punished the people that were standing up to Paul so excessively to the point where Paul had to step in and say, hey guys, it's time for a bit of forgiveness here. You know, like, don't punish these people beyond, you know, uh, beyond what's sensible. And that's where, long story, hey, that's where second, that's the context in which 2 Corinthians was written. Some, you know, reconciliation had taken place, but the, but the relationship was still tense. You know that feeling when you've reconciled with someone, but, it's, you know, there's still not quite the brotherly love that used to be there. It's sort of like, there's a little bit of tension there. Well, and, and if you make wrong football, everything could collapse back into what it used to be. That's kind of like where Paul found himself. But he also, uh, but it was also, this tension was also increased because he, he promised, well, he said that, the Corinthians, that he would come and make an extended stay and spend a lot of time with them. And he didn't turn up. Titus turned up instead. So he had to try and explain himself uh, with that as well. So that's where we find ourselves in 2 Corinthians. And uh, just to finish here, there's a little map. Paul's initial plan was that he would go straight over from, um, to Corinth and then make his last loop around here with Macedonia and all the churches up there. And then he would start to phase out of ministry in this whole area and go on to Spain and the other, other big plans. But this whole issue with the Corinthians turned, caused him to change that whole plan. And he's over here. He sends, 
Titus with 2 Corinthians over to Corinth. And then he does the opposite thing. He takes a long road up and around here through the churches and back down to give these guys some time, some space to process the letter, to talk with Titus and to prepare their hearts for... See how, how relational this guy is? He's willing to just change his whole plan and just for these guys. Um, so yeah, it's very moving in that, in that kind of way. And so when you hear about Titus, gets referred to quite a lot in 2 Corinthians. That's because Paul's traveling here and he's waiting for Titus to come back up this way and meet halfway somewhere and hopefully tell him of the good report of, of what's happened. He's so eager. In fact, he goes to one town and the gospel is being presented amazingly and he just he stops and he moves on because he hasn't found Titus yet. He wants to find Titus. He wants to see how this relationship with the Corinthians is going and whether it's being restored or not. Well, so there's Corinthians in, in 10 minutes. And uh, hopefully, when you read it now, you can sort of get the context of, oh, I can see what's going on now. So that is, um, and that is Corinthians in a nutshell. And I would recommend you look at that Bible project video because I kind of just copied it in a way. Um, well, not completely, but almost. So moving on, just, I'll finish off because we're running out of time. But structure of the Corinthians series. We're going to do one block, first seven chapters over the next couple of months. And then we're going to have a break, and then we're going to do a second block of the last bunch of chapters in September and October leading up to our church camp. So I'd encourage you to, to read through, study, and pray through, and to allow yourself to be marinated in the scripture. This is a good so, um, so now what I want to do is I just want to give you some like resources, and then I want to allow some time. If you really struggle with your Bible reading, and you really struggle with the word, and your Bible looks a little bit like that. Can you see that? Read me, dust all over it. Then, then I want to I want to pray with you at the end of this time because it really is important. We love the Holy Spirit. We love the gifts of the Spirit. We love community. We love the Word, and we want to be there to support one another. And if you really struggle with this and you haven't picked your Bible up in a long time, I want to pray uh, with you at the end of this time uh, that God would just fill you with His grace. To to fall in love with him and find him in the scriptures again. So we'll do that shortly. So just some things. If you eight-minute video, Bible project, YouTube, search it. It's brilliant if you're busy having breakfast or whatever. If you're not a watcher or a reader, then be a listener. Grab an audio Bible. You know, the, most of the apps have, like, audio options. Obviously, you click them while you're on the train or something. And hopefully these teachings uh, will be loaded up online too so you can listen to them. And Google other good teaching about Corinthians as well. Uh, and the Bible. Read the Bible. It's a good place to be, eh? Um, some of my favorite translations. Mix up your translations. If you're so familiar with yours, just mix it up until you get the flavor of it again. ESV is a good literal study kind of translation. But my favorites at the moment are the NLT and the CEV. I really like the CEV. I don't know what it is, but the CEV is called the Contemporary English Version. It's just so accessible, but it kind of sticks to the source content quite well. And the message, which is a very loose paraphrase. It's almost a, um, it's almost a commentary on the Bible in the Bible form, if that makes sense. So um, good, good, all, good, all good ones there. And then if you're really in-depth, want to go a bit deeper, some good books here. I really like Tom Wright's series, for everyone, Paul, and he's really strong on Paul, so 2 Corinthians is a good one. I'm working for that at the moment. I haven't read this one here, but I've heard good things about these series, eh? Like, people rate these, uh, Phil Moore, straight to the heart of. He's got one on 1 and 2 Corinthians. And if you want to go a bit more in depth, if you're that way inclined, then you can pick up a commentary 
what I say about the commentaries is like just treat them as as reference material. I, I like a little bit of a tip. The way I read them is I'll I'll read the start, the introduction sections of the commentary, so I get a flavour. But I won't read it from there like a novel. Mm. I will let my my interest and my curiosity drive where I flip to. So I might read it and way in chapter six I might find something that I need some help explaining. So I'll flip straight to six. Don't start like verse one, chapter one. It'd be very dry and difficult unless you're like a scholar or something like that. Not many people. So yeah, that's a, a, some. There's a pillar New Testament series. It's a good one. Bible speaks today. Both both good ones. So. Um, so yeah, that, that second Corinthians is a bit of a more of a teaching kind of session, but yeah, hopefully we'll benefit from it. And um, why don't we just stand and I'm going to pray and just commit the series to God. And I also want to just allow some time now to for you just to examine your heart and think, well, you know, where am I with my reading of Scripture, my study of Scripture, and my meeting with God in Scripture? And is that something that I just really want to grow in over this series? You could use this this series not just to learn more about Corinthians but to fuel your passion for the Bible and, and, to, and to be built up more and more in Scripture so um, thanks mate um, so yeah Lord we just commit this series to you we thank you for your word we have, we have your revelation in the Bible so much more than you know other people in history who didn't have it all and we've got it all in this neat little package and we can meet with you and we can learn about your heart. We can learn about your son Jesus. We can learn in letters like Paul about what that means for us in the community. And we just thank you for that and we treasure your word. And just like, you know, we, we, we love hearing messages from our family, whether it's on WhatsApp or Facebook. We treasure those communications if they're on the other side of the world. So we value your word, which is like your message to us. And we treasure it, Lord, uh, and we thank you for it. And we just commit this series to you and pray that you'll take us on as a church more and more. Use this series to build us up as a community, to have strong relationships, to understand the apostolic, to, uh, to, to gauge our value system and to value things that you value. And so we commit this series to you in Jesus' name. And I just pray for anyone here that is struggling with their Bible reading, Lord, that, they would, uh, that, that you would just meet them and just speak with them and, say, and show them it's not just a book but it's about encountering with you it's about finding you and, and your heart uh, as, we, uh, as we read your word uh, so we love you Lord we thank you Lord for, um, uh, for your word we thank you Lord for this community and uh, yeah we just thank you for that in Jesus name thank you Jesus Amen Amen, Amen.